on the life of David some while ago, months ago, and now we're in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 21, verse 15, and then we're going to look at various verses in chapter 22. So I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and just follow along this morning. I, I want to say that it's so nice to have my wife back home. Um, I, I missed her. She was gone for three weeks. I was gone one week. And so the two weeks that she was gone, I lost two pant sizes and I was wasting away. <laughs> Not really. It's nice to have Kathy back home. It really is. And our baby uh, grandchildren, they're doing great, the twins. I heard, I heard about a man. There was a man that was walking along the countryside and he came to this country store and he saw this little boy sitting on the porch and there was a huge dog right next to this man sitting on the porch. And the man said, son, does your dog bite? And the little boy said, no, sir, my dog does not bite. And he went over to touch this huge dog and the dog bit him and almost took his arm off bit him. And the man said, son, I thought you said your son, uh, I thought you said that your dog does not bite. And the little boy said, that's not my dog. <laughs> I know that's corny. That's really corny. I know that. But talk about miscommunication and talk about misunderstanding. And you know, the enemy of our soul, it's really true. When we go through trials and when we go through difficulties and when we go through misunderstanding, the enemy of our soul likes to plant thoughts in our brain that God doesn't care about us, that God doesn't love us, that God doesn't have a plan for our life, that we don't have a future and that we don't have a hope. But that's a lie. We do have a future and we do have a hope despite the trials and despite the difficulties of our life. And this, quite frankly, is where David is at in his life. We got through looking at that particular scripture. Uh, I think it's uh, chapter 21, verse 15. Notice it says right there in a different translation. It says, David became weary. David became weary. The NIV translation says that David became exhausted. You see, David had led the children of Israel for 40 plus years. And at first, all kinds of wonderful things happened. The borders of Israel has expanded from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. There has been spiritual renewal and there's been spiritual revival. There's been economic renewal. Many, many people are uh, benefiting from, from all these open trade routes that David had opened up. All kinds of neat and wonderful things have been happening, but there's been some problems as well. David's little baby that he had with Bathsheba has died. A little bit later, his oldest son, Absalom, tries to usurp him, tries to kick him off the throne, tries to kill his own father, and Absalom dies a tragic death. And then on top of that, there is famine in the, in the land. There's famine. People are starving to death. And on top of that... At this particular time, all of a sudden, the Philistines who had, who had been subdued, they begin to raise up. And David has these fierce enemies who are fighting against he, and, and his army seems to be in disarray at this time. And David, we read in Scripture, finally reaches a place where we read in Scripture that he became exhausted. Exhausted. Literally, in the Hebrew language, it means he 
got to the point where he was empty, running on fumes. He had nothing left in his physical and emotional uh, gas tank, you might want to say. He is absolutely exhausted. He had been under such stress and loss that he had nothing left. Now, I could ask the question this morning and I already know the answer, but you felt exhausted. I felt exhausted. Completely wrung out. Nothing left. Couldn't even get out of bed. I had a pastor friend years ago. He would often come to our small Christian college and he would speak to us as ministerial students. He was a pastor of a large church. And he said one time, he said, I have been so exhausted, so wrung out. I have been in the blackest, darkest hole that you can ever imagine. But God was still there, even in that dark hole, even in that exhaustion. I remember reading a number of years ago about a young mother, young mother of toddlers, two little toddlers, both still in diapers. And the counselor that she went to asked her how she felt. And she said, you know, this is how I feel. I can tell you a story. The other day I, I found a mouse and it was trapped in a mouse trap. It was still alive. And so I went to the toilet and I put it in the toilet and I tried to flush the toilet and the toilet went down. I tried to flush the, the mouse down the toilet. Don't do that, ladies. <laughs> it's bad for the plumbing. But she said she did it. She flushed the to- She tried to flush the, the mouse down the toilet and she came back in and believe it or not, the water was filling up and the mouse was treading water with his nose barely above the water. And she said to the counselor, that's how I feel at this time. I'm, I'm treading water with my nose barely above the water. I feel like I'm drowning, exhausted. After all these losses David went through, I think the average person would feel exhausted. Loss, a loss, and loss. And it's interesting to me, even though David is weary, even though David is exhausted, the poet, the songwriter, comes out during this time. He chooses, the Bible says, he chooses to write a psalm to God. And instead of dwelling on the dark and the morbid and the somber, this song focuses on God's intervening grace and God's help and God's sustenance and, 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 and that God is our rock and God's our shield and he focuses in on all of this stuff. Yes, he's exhausted. Yes, he feels depressed. Yes, he feels discouraged. He doesn't de- deny, he doesn't minimize his losses. He doesn't glibly say praise the Lord. But notice, I want you to notice what he dwells on because he writes a song and it's right here in Second Samuel chapter 22. There are four topics that he covers. First of all, I want you to notice topic number one. God is our protector. God is our protector in the face of the various attacks and trials of life. Do you have trials? Do you have difficulties? The Bible says that God is our protector and he's our deliverer. And David describes exactly what he felt in the stormy times. In verse 3, he describes it, look at it with me, as violence. Verse 5, ways of death. Verse 5, the second part, torrents of destruction. Verse 7, he says, distress. Verse 19, calamity and loss. But he goes on, and despite all of this acknowledgement and despite all of these losses and heartache and pain, he says, God has been my deliverer. He's been my rock. He's been my shield. 
the Lord has helped me. Now, I want you to look at chapter 22, and let's look at verses 2 through 3. 2 through 3. He said, notice, the Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. There it is. He's my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Notice, he's my stronghold. If you like to circle, circle stronghold. My refuge, there it is again, and my Savior from violent men. You save me, Lord. David is surrounded by, again, by these Philistines, these hated enemies of God who would like nothing other than to come in and destroy the Israelite people. David has history with God. He's probably thinking, you know, I remember when I fought the bear, and I remember when I fought the lion, and how God rescued me from the paws of the lion and bear. He probably remembered the time that he, he was rescued no, numerous times from Saul, Saul who was after him and pursuing him. He, he, he remembered how God delivered him from his own son Absalom, who was trying to thrit, slit his own throat. God and he has had history. Yes, he's surrounded by his enemies. Yes, he feels depressed, but he knows that God will deliver him. He will deliver him. Loved ones do die. People at times do fail us. The economy and finances go up and down. But God will never leave us nor forsake us. Theme number one, when times are hard, God is real, bottom line. He's our true source of hope and security. Years ago, Jesus in his earthly ministry. Do you remember the story? He encountered ten lepers. Leprosy is a terrible, awful disease. There are still lepers around the world, but not as many as they had during Jesus' day. It's a disease that rots the flesh away from the bones. It's a terrible disease. And during Jesus' day, it was rampant. And it was, and they were, they were also suffered from... Um, from the social stigma of having that particular disease. In fact, if you were a leper, you were to yell, yell out, unclean, 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 if you were 30 feet away from a person who did not have leprosy. Can you imagine that? And scripture says that one day Jesus encountered 10, not one, not two, but 10 lepers. And he had compassion on these people. And he went to them, and unlike the culture of that day, he touched them. In fact, I would like to think that he embraced them. He hugged them and healed them of this skin-rotting disease. But there's the rest of the story here. Scripture says that out of the ten that were healed, only one came back and thanked him for what he had done. David, in this psalm, despite everything he's gone through, acknowledges in thanksgiving to God who God is, and he acknowledges specifically that he is his deliverer. The second topic in this hymn of thanksgiving that I want to, us to look at this morning is this. God, he said, in my paraphrase, is the sunrise. He is the sunrise in the dark moments of our lives. He is the sunshine in the darkness. I want you to look at verse 29 with me. Look at verse 29 with me. He says, You are my lamp. If you like to circle, circle that word lamp, O Lord. 
The Lord turns my darkness into light. Those of us who uh, like to go camping, all of us I'm sure have been camping before, we know that we bring a lantern or we bring a flashlight along, especially if we're at a, a forest service campground and we had to use the bathroom late at night. We sign that flashlight. But did you ever notice that that lantern or that flashlight, it doesn't shine everywhere, it doesn't shine the whole force. It only shines a few feet in front of you. And the scripture indicates over and over again that God gives us enough insight and understanding for today. Not tomorrow, not next week, but for today. Wouldn't it be nice if the Lord dropped a sheet down from heaven and gave us point by point by point what he would like us to do in our lives? But he doesn't do that. Jesus said, God gives us our pray for daily bread. Not tomorrow, not next week, but for daily bread. But don't you wish that you could have all the answers to your life? Don't you wish that this side of eternity you could say, God, why did this happen and why does this happen? And why? We may never know this side uh, until we get on the other side of eternity why all these things happen, but we can trust God, the Bible says, for today because he provides enough light for us in the darkness just for today. The Lord, in Psalm 27, verse 1, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Whom shall I fear? You know, there's a lot of fears. People often fear the future. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen if the economy goes bad? What's going to happen if something happens to my loved one? The fear of the unknown. But scripture says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Charles Allen writes words that are very appropriate and uplifting here. Quote, listen to it. When a person is suddenly alone, often panic and fear come. I distinctly remember my mother saying to me after my father's death, I cannot go on without him. I depended upon him for everything. My mother believed that, but she did go on without him. In fact, she lived 25 wonderful years after my father died. And I remember that one of the things that bothered my mother was that she could not drive a car. She learned that she could live without driving a car and my father driving her everywhere. I feel that the most creative years of my mother's life were the years when she was forced to depend upon herself and God. She had other anxious moments, but somewhere along the way she learned the old expression, life by the yard is hard, but life by the inch is a cinch. We don't have to be afraid. God illuminates enough for us to daily walk, the daily walk. Jesus said, don't be worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself. He also said, God knows the very number of hairs on the top of our head. He knows when a sparrow dies. How much more does he know about you and your particular problems and your particular needs? God the Father knows about us. He knows us intimately. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So when days are dark, remember the Lord is our light. I want you to notice the third topic, the third theme that David weaves in here in the psalm. 
God is our power source. He is our TNT, you might want to say, during the weak and feeble moments of our lives. And I want you to look at verses 32 and 33. Look at it with me. Notice, for who is God beside the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. He knows that. Who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength, circle that, and makes my way perfect. David is not describing himself as strong. He's describing the Lord as being strong. Listen, David is is saying, even though he was exhausted from battle, and even though he was fighting depression, and even though he was fighting discouragement from recent deaths and losses, he's saying, the Lord is my strength. It's the Lord. I want you to look at verses 34 and 35. Notice, he makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Can you imagine having the feet of deer. One time I saw a deer leap over one of those huge uh, trucks that were jacked up. A deer leaped from this side clear over to the other side. Can you imagine bending a bowl of solid bronze? The analogy that, that God is giving David is one of supernatural strength when you are beyond your, your weak and you're frail, and you're fragile, he, God promises to give us this kind of strength. Now listen, the same power the Bible says that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and is available to me. When I am weak, he is strong. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, remember? He said three times, three times I prayed, Lord, take this away from me. Take this away from me. Take this away from me. This problem, this situation, take it away from me. We think it was a physical problem. And three times God answered the Apostle Paul and he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you because... My power is perfected in your weakness. When I am weak, then I'm strong. I don't understand that. There is a supernatural dimension to this Christian life that says, I'm never more strong than when I'm weak because I'm dependent upon God to help me. He's my strength. He's my strength. But let's be honest, that's hard to put into action sometimes when we want to be strong and when we want to appear that we've got it all together. And yet the key principle in the Christian life is, over and over again, is that God is never closer and never more strong in our life than when we are weak and humble in ourselves. A number of years ago, before I became the pastor of the John Day Nazareth Church, I'd come and visit John Day, and often I'd find myself working on my father-in-law's property, Dadsey's property on Miller Mountain Road up here on the hillside. Some of you have been up there, some of you haven't. It's a nice little cabin, two-bedroom cabin, but the side porch uh, was falling down. There was no support underneath the joists. It was on the ground. 
And so the first three or four days that I went to work on that cabin, I tried to figure out how to jack up those joists off of the ground and at the same time put this 4x4 four four, uh, treated post underneath and then put, it, put everything on cement piers. But I'd get one side up and the other side wouldn't be even enough or off the ground enough so I could put a board under and I was having a terrible, awful problem. I cannot describe it to you. For two or three days on my side, on my back, and nothing was being accomplished. Ever feel that way? And I got really upset. And I went out where his rock was at. He's got a rock out there in the sunshine. And I just let the Lord have it. And I said, Lord, so many words. I'm here to help. I want to help. And I can't do this. I need your help. Could you just help me? Could you just give me a clue what I should do? And I got a little emotional, too. I'm just frustrated. It just came right into my mind what I should do. So I got the board underneath there. I jacked some up, and I began to use some shims because all of those floor joists were uneven. And I could shim here and shim there and shim there and get to the place where the problem was solved. When we are weak, he is strong. He is strong. And it's true at times we have to exhaust our own human resources, but God is never stronger than when we're, when we're weak. I want you to notice topic or theme uh, number four here. Paul says, when our future is fuzzy, when our future is foggy, God is our deliverer when our tomorrow is uncertain. We all face uncertain days, some of us more than others. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We have a doctor's appointment, and we know that there may be something wrong with us, but we don't know what the doctor's going to say. Our mother, our father, they're facing some sort of illness, some sort of crisis. We don't know where our job's going to be next. We just know the Lord's going to move us someplace. We don't, there are so many uncertainties in our life. When our future is fuzzy, when it is uncertain, the Bible says that, that God is our deliverer and God will pro- provide insight and understanding. He'll deliver us and he'll help us. I want you to look at uh, chapter 22, verse 50. Notice what he says here. He says, therefore... After all this stuff, violent men, you've rescued me from, you've helped me, you've enabled me, I'm facing all these enemies, I feel exhausted, I feel depressed. He says, therefore, I will praise you. I choose to praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. I will do this. Despite all that David had been through, he's not bitter, he's not resentful. What a man. This is where he's approaching the end of his life. And he has this song that he's composed to God. Look at verse 51 with me. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David, and his descendants forever. He does all this for me, David is saying. He said, basically, Lord, In the bad times, you've made something good 
and the bad. I want to close here this morning with something that uh, I read about, I heard about. This is a true story, if you can believe it. There's a place called Rome, I think it's Rome, Georgia. Rome, Georgia. And in the city square there, they have a statue, they have a monument to a bug. The only place I've ever heard of where a statue or a monument is to a bug. And if you go on the internet, you can look at this gangly monument they have to this bug. It's a monument to the bull weevil. And I guess decades ago, their only crop that they had around that particular small community was cotton. And one time they got such a bad infestation of a bull weevil that they lost the entire crop and everyone was hurting and they were depressed and they were discouraged and they did not know what they were going to do and they began to whine and moan and complain and go on and on and on. Woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, woe is us. We're financially ruined, etc., etc. And there was a farmer, however, in that community that said, hey, instead of cotton, let's plant peanuts. And that's, that's exactly what they did. And within a couple years, they had such huge crops of peanuts that they made many more times money than they ever made in cotton. And I understand, even today, that that is one of the main places where they grow peanuts. It is the peanut capital of the United States today. What looks so terrible, what looks so awful, what was so negative, what was so depressing, what was so discouraging, what was so uh, taking the wind out of their sails, what was so financially ruining these people became the stepping stone for the greatest thing that could have ever happened to them. You know why? Because God always has a way of making something good out of bad. What is the bad? What's the bad in your life? Relationship problems? Financial problems? What is the bad in your life? Communication problems? Depression? The loss? Scripture says that God can make something good out of the bad. Always. Always does. Always has. That relationship problem is an opportunity to get beyond and to get on to another level, perhaps. That financial problem is an opportunity for you to take another step forward. Don't look at it as a stumbling stone. Look at it like a stepping stone. You say, Pastor Ron, does that mean that I, I, I can't grieve? And, no, I'm not saying you can't grieve, and I'm not saying you can't weep, and, and we have to be real with our emotions and losses. But God always makes something good out of bad. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Thank you for being our per- protection, Lord, when the attacks and trials come along. Thank you, Lord, that 
when times are hard, you support us, you protect us. We humble ourselves, those of us who are going through it. We humble ourselves and ask that you would surround us with your spiritual armor, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, sandals of peace, sword of spirit, shield of faith. Protect our loved ones that are in the military. Provide protection, Lord, as we have loved loved ones and family members and church family members who are serving as police officers and sheriffs and, and, and firefighting. Protect all of us as we get in our cars and travel distances. We have to go distances when we travel in eastern Oregon. And Lord, you are sunrise, you are sun, sunlight, you are sunshine in the darkness. And church family, I'd invite you to pray this morning if you need direction and if you need help to say, Lord, give me direction. Direct me, Lord, where I should go. Open the door you want me to step through. I trust you with all my heart, and I lean not on, on my own understanding. And you promise to direct my paths. Direct my paths, Lord. Direct them. And Lord, we live today. There's nothing wrong with working on tomorrow's goals, but we don't want to get so far ahead that we don't live today. We're, we're thankful for today. If today was the last day that we had, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for the daily bread that you give us. We thank you for the blessings that you give us in our lives, Lord. Help us. Help us. Be our power source, Lord. Help us to recognize that when we are weak, then we are strong. Deliver us, Lord, from evil. Help us to live for you. Help us to take the high road in all of our relationships. We will not be afraid of tomorrow because we know who holds tomorrow. You hold tomorrow, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.